welcome to a new episode of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast, where we talk about the business of sports. I'm Tom Richardson, a co-host, uh, and I'm actually solo this week because Joe Favorito is away traveling on business, so uh, I'll be doing this one alone. Uh, but happy to be with our trusty producer, Royce. Thank you, Royce. Glad to be back. Feel, feel free to chime in if you'd like. I need some help here. Fair enough. Um, and we've got uh, a big topic, and it's a very important topic in the business. It's about revenue generation, monetization, et cetera. And I'm really happy that we've got a guest from one of the leading and, and most impressive digital first media companies in the business, Vox Media, that is a company that uh, I follow quite close because I, I engage with a lot of their properties. And uh, we're very pleased to welcome the Chief Revenue Officer, Ryan Pauley. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be Good here. Good to have you, Ryan. So let's start with, uh, we want to get a little bit of your background, but I know you attended one of the other sports management programs. I did. So I didn't know if I was that. allowed to no, that's okay. mention no. it. I, uh, I think we're, you know, we're friendly with those guys. Uh, so I think it's, uh, it's good to hear a little bit about that and kind of what drove you to it and also what you got out of it as you got into the business. Sure, yes. So let's hear a little bit about your background. I have a bunch of questions about what you're doing at Vox, about the industry at large. Some of the trends, some of the issues, we'll get into that later, but let's start with you and your story. Great. Yeah, so I, I, uh, I'm I originally from outside of Philadelphia, so um, Sixers, Phillies, Eagles okay. fans. Sixers trust the process more than anything, though. Um, uh, and I did my undergrad at Elon University, where I studied mm-hmm. sport management. Right. Um, and They've had a sports management program for a while. For a while, right? yeah. yeah. And it's really uh, an amazing, amazing program. Um, and and so I, I graduated from Elon and then immediately went and attended Georgetown for their sports business okay. master's uh, degree, which was, um, I think, I think when I was there, it was the second year that it was in, um, that it was a, an actual program. So I was, I was one of the early ones. Wow. Okay. Um, so who was, was it Matt Winkler? Yes. Yeah. Matt Winkler Lead, was still, was still leading it. Yeah. Just and back I, up one second. Sure. So, so it's interesting because. Most people in the business did not go to an undergraduate sports uh-huh. program because they're rel- it's a relatively new thing. Yeah. So what what drove you to that as a high school senior or junior, whenever you started thinking about it? Yeah, so I ha- I come from a very athletically inclined family, uh, whereby both of my both of my parents played college basketball. My mother at Immaculata and my father at Lehigh wow. University. Uh, my mother has been a, a high school athletic director for. I don't know. She'll get mad if I say how long for a while. <laughs> right, uh, right, right. But uh, but at, at uh, private schools in uh, in Philadelphia and then mm-hmm. now in Los Angeles. Um, there's the siren. There's the, the siren. Yeah, you, you <laughs> okay. did. Uh, and and so uh, I have always been interested in in sports and in particular the the business of sports. And uh, but I will say that it was a it was a um, the first day at Elon uh, for in the sports sort of the intro to sports management. The uh, the professor uh, made us take like a quiz or what? It, why why did you choose this class? What are you interested in? And uh, and the and you know you you probably see this too. Like people get into sports management, you want to sort of be a general manager, or you right. want to be yeah. an athletic director or something. Yeah. And and so the last question on the quiz was tell us uh, what are the top two jobs that you think that oh, you want coming out ask. here. Yeah. And uh, and so I put down the t- and I think and I'm this green, very motivated young freshman and I put general manager or athletic director and he and he, he before he even looks at the quiz he collects them all and he, before he even looks at any of them he's like the 85% of you just said athletic director or general manager and I was like oh that is such so so basic that I just I answered exactly in line with what the but it was it was a good it was actually a really in, helpful exercise to be 
uh, to sort of show that you might you think it's one thing, and in reality, the world actually is is twenty five times the size that sort of even even uh, entering the program I thought exactly. that it was, yeah. and yeah. so it was it was a very helpful, albeit a, a humbling, yeah. uh, <laughs> humbling. But you liked it enough, obviously, undergrad to decide to go directly to a graduate program. Yeah, yeah, and I thought it was important. Uh, I I did a couple of internships at the Atlantic Coast Conference, which is based right there in Greensboro, which is about thirty minutes from Elon's campus, right. and and enjoyed that time, but felt I still needed to sort of put in learn more and put in more time and in particular with uh, with people that were in working in the field and that right. was the nice thing about the Georgetown program is that all of the yeah. uh, instructors and professors were uh, it was all night classes so it was all people right. who were right. adjuncts yeah, exactly from the exactly yeah, yeah. Nice. and so that was that was a, an amazing experience it was a one-year program I don't know if it's so you've full-time one year yeah uh, mm-hmm. what what were the top one or two takeaways from that experience oh man we had the sports marketing um, some of the sports marketing stuff was most interesting just around the um, reverse engineering of what brand attributes people were trying to convey and what the what the alignment to individual sports leagues or teams or uh, timing of the year and how important that was and how I actually I didn't even realize how big of a business it was right. at the time so that was one the second was as the um, I forget what exactly it was but at the time there was a lot of the um, a lot of conversation about the the amount of money that was going towards sports rights and it was it was sort of at the top of uh, just as the the sort of questioning of how much should these networks start keep paying for mm-hmm. these sports excuse me right. sports rights and and what what is the business model long term around these 15 year 20 year NFL, MLB, NBA rights deals. Nice. Okay, so coming out of that, what what do you have in mind? Did you still want to be a general manager? <laughs> well, I actually had I had two I had two opportunities while I was still actually at Georgetown. One was to um, start at SB Nation uh, at the time, and and the second was to work in the NCAA office in DC, and which is the governance right. office. And I I had worked at in the Georgetown athletic department for the first half of, of my time there. And I wanted something new. I wanted something a little bit faster paced. The, the problem I think with a lot of sports organizations now is this, it's too slow and yeah. uh, you can't actually enact change as, yeah. as quickly as That's you a good would like. Yeah. And so I wanted, I wanted a different perspective and, and SB nation had just raised its series B round. So it was a $10 million round in, I think it was October, November of when it was still independent, still independent. Yeah. yeah. And, um, one of my professors, thankfully, uh, was uh, was the um, was leading all revenue sales marketing at the time. Kyle Ragsdale. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you know Kyle? Well, I know his wife. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. He used to work yeah, that's NFL. right. That's right. That's okay. right. And so he uh, uh, he was one of my professors, and thankfully gave me uh, my oh, wow. first job at okay. SB Nation. So that's and interesting. So that's a, that's a good point to just dwell on for a second because you had the sense at that age after the graduate experience that. You generally like the idea of a faster paced, more entrepreneurial environment because mm-hmm. that's a big question for a yeah. lot of people coming out of college or yeah. graduate school. Yeah. But is what what side of the spectrum do you want to be on? And it's something that I talk about quite a bit because it's important to feel like to understand where you might feel both motivated and comfortable, yeah. just temperamentally, intellectually, etc. Absolutely. Um, and I think you make a good point that typically the larger the company you go to, uh, 
for good or for bad, the more bureaucratic yeah. it's going to be, the slower it goes. No question. The reality. And I, but I would not have known that if I hadn't done multiple right. jobs. So or you had a taste of the different the parts yeah. of the, of yeah. the spectrum. Yeah. I would have, I would like to say that I knew from the beginning that that was my taste, but uh, it took. Okay, a so let me guess. So the the opportunity at SB Nation was in sales. It was or, in local sales. Okay. Yes. All right. So there's another good lesson learned along the way because I'm just curious if. Uh, during your undergrad experience at Elon or the graduate experience at Georgetown with the different internships, had you sold, had you done any selling? I had done selling. I had done some, uh, group ticket sales at the okay. Atlantic coast conference, yeah. um, in Greensboro. That was the first, and it was group ticket sales for the ACC basketball tournament, right. uh, that was coming to town. Okay. Year that was. Did you have a sense that you were good at it or you liked it? No, oh, I'm still bad at it. I wasn't, I, I'm still bad. Even though you're a chief member. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and I'm I not think, sure you want to say I that think on the, uh, <laughs> no, the, uh, I think the, the traditional sort of sales moniker gets a, gets a bad rap. But what I like doing, what I liked about it was interacting with people, engaging with people, and finding out if, right. if there was a, if they had a problem that we had a solution. For. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that was, that's the interesting part. And that's sort of how, as we'll talk about the changing media landscape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's where, that's sort of where, it's going and, and where sort of we find value. Now. Right, but I think the interesting challenge, and I'm sure you went through this in your first year or two or maybe three, is that you were a relatively small brand mm-hmm. uh, at the time. You had a lot of user-generated content, meaning bloggers. Yeah. I mean, you can talk about that in a second. Yeah. So it wasn't exactly an easy thing to bring to proverbial Madison Avenue. Mm-hmm. No question. Um, and that was at an early stage, kind of in the longer tail of sports content, really making waves. Yeah. And SB Nation was a pioneer mm-hmm. in that space. So it probably was really good on-the-job training uh, uh, no, of how to deal with a lot of objections and, and no you know closing challenges. And and it was and because I, I sort of I got more than what I was even expecting in terms of how fast-paced it was, where I was doing four different jobs at the same time. I was mm-hmm. the third employee on the business side when I started, and so there was no um, there was not much structure and yeah. you're doing a little bit of everything so while, while my job title was technically sales it was also we're running operations doing um ad operations doing pricing a little bit of finance it was just a little bit of everything right. and so uh so i got uh, a taste of of it all right so you've come a long way being doing local sales as a kind of an entry-level mm-hmm. salesman yeah to being chief revenue officer of now a house of brands that's right of major media yeah. brands such as uh uh, Vox and Recode and Eater and Polygon and The Verge. I'm mean, some amazing brands. So you got some big, you got some big brands that you're dealing with right now. So just quickly talk about that progression from kind of paying your dues in local sales with a relatively mm-hmm. small property to now doing something extremely high profile in digital media. Yeah, well, it's been an amazing ride, and the company has been on this journey for about a decade now. I've been there for the last eight years, and, and we we have taken this vertical approach because we believe that building brands that people love is most important in today's media landscape. And so it's the antithesis due to the... Um, uh, the sort of newspaper style where you have a different, you have a sports section, you've got a right. food mm-hmm. section, you've got a home and lifestyle right. section, but 
today brands matter more than ever. That's how that's where you build loyal relationships, where you build loyal audiences. And so the we started with SB Nation, then in in the fall of 2011 when we launched the Verge, right. uh, which is our consumer electronics and technology site. Wait, but just we, we yeah. missed we missed this key creation of Vox per se. Like yeah, so when we stuff, launched right. when we launched the Verge, we actually renamed the uh, company name to Vox Media. Okay, so, so that was the trigger. Okay, yes, I didn't realize. Yeah, that. so okay. as soon as we expanded outside of just SB Nation, the, the company name was actually Sports Blogs Inc. That's right. Very old school and funny, right. um, but it is actually core to our roots. And and when we launched the Verge in October of 2011, we right. changed the company name to Vox Media. Okay, right. And it wasn't until then, uh, uh, Vox is soon. Vox.com is soon to celebrate its fifth anniversary. So. It was five years ago where we launched Vox.com, which is sort of our, now our namesake flagship brand. Nice. Okay. So um, talk about kind of your experience learning the craft of selling in a, in a very rapidly changing media environment, because you've lived through mm-hmm. one of the most tumultuous times yeah. in history. So, I mean, it's, it's funny to think mm-hmm. about, like, when you joined, for example, programmatic wasn't yeah. a thing. No. Now it's a, one of the biggest drivers of the business. Mm-hmm branded content, native advertising. These were phrases no one was even using no 10 version. years ago. Yeah. So so tell us how you kind of sussed everything out as the years went on. Yeah, I think I think even bigger than the sort of uh, product changes that have gone over the past five to six years is that when we were, when we started, it was digital media was at its own corner of the world. And uh, you were talking to, we were sort of competing with other digital native companies. And mm-hmm. today, there is no longer a distinction between digital media and what right. was once referred to as traditional media. There is, there is only one category, which is modern media companies. And we believe that we're a leading right. modern media company. And so we compete with the Facebooks and Googles that are the elephants in everybody's room. We compete with uh, TV networks. We compete with the New York Times and the Washington Post. And so our competitive set is just wildly different than what it once was, which was the sort of corner that was referred to as digital media, which got the sort of last look at everything. And so we're much further upstream now, thanks to our growth and our scale in our business. But the, the it is it is more competitive than ever for these absolutely ad budgets. Also, when you started ten years ago, is it ten? I'm you eight. You're eight. Yeah. Okay. So what's that? 2011. Mm-hmm. So social obviously was important, but not quite. Facebook, it wasn't what it really became. Facebook was not years. yet public. Yeah. Uh, they had uh, Instagram was just launched 2011. Yeah, but not yet, but still independent, right? Yeah, no, still independent and still not making any money. So they weren't even worried about selling advertising. No question. Facebook had not uh, started its mobile advertising business. It was still a primarily, I think, fully desktop advertising business. That's right. And so, so yeah, and so we were, it's just a, it feels feels like 30, 40 years, (laughs) more so than eight. And so so when... The third party stuff or the social media platform stuff became a, a bigger force, mm-hmm. competitive force. Were you hearing that in the market? Like, did you have to deal with that objection more and more as we went into 2012, 2013, et cetera? No question. Yeah. It was becoming more of a, of a uh, factor and more of a must buy. And right. so there was pre-allocated budget to right. social and search in particular. And so that just becomes, it starts to... Um, shrink the the what's left what? pie mm-hmm. and so that was that was sort of a couple of years stretch and now we're at the point where we're actually competing for those 
budgets, whereas before we weren't even we were getting our our scraps, our scraps afterwards. <laughs> yeah, right. and so um, and so that's the biggest change, and 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 where we've been lucky enough to be afforded that opportunity with yeah. a lot of our advertising partners because right. there's a lot of media companies that still are stuck in that in that last tier. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, the thing that's amazing, of course, in the business is with you reference the fact that Google and Facebook have a commanding dominant share, uh, often called a duopoly mm-hmm. in digital advertising, with I think last estimate is around 60%, 59, 60, yeah. 61%, and getting, which is really a stunning statistic to reflect on for a second, yes. that they own, that they command almost two-thirds of digital advertising yeah. dollars. Yeah. And when you and now when you increasingly include Amazon, well, and then I was about to say that. So we're looking at a triopoly now, and I just recently, uh, just coincidentally, uh, because of some work here at Columbia, was studying Amazon's advertising platform, Mm -hmm. which I'm sure you're keenly aware of. of Yeah, I mean they're they're going for it. I mean they're they're doing some sophisticated stuff. Yes. And when you equate it back to the increasing pressure on ROI, conversion, all the things Mm -hmm. that old unmeasurable media couldn't provide yep. as it gets more measurable and more um, accountable mm-hmm. as one of the art one of the articles i read this week uh, indicated that well amazon basically i mean google may know your intent facebook may know your predilections and, mm-hmm. and social graph mm-hmm. but amazon knows what you really are about to buy no question and if you can insert yourself as an advertiser into that Mm-hmm. into that funnel more directly yeah. it is a kind of a daunting prospect no question here here is where i think the opportunity lies in that there is no none of the three that of the three major companies provide environments to build a brand in a digital way and so they're all focused on performance right. performance media right. and even even the stats of whatever the latest is 60% of of product searches originate on amazon Right. Or whatever that latest right. that is. If we really think that me typing in Sonos headphones into Amazon and they're getting full attribution credit for that sale, right. if you don't think that that building the Sonos brand before I get to that point matters, then your your long term prospects as a brand is you're you're wildly underestimating the impact of, of brand advertising. Um, in okay, a, so in that's a that's a that's a good point and a fair point, point, and I agree with you. So, the, so what you're saying is that for your, you have, you have a phrase on your website that you do, that Vox says high fidelity advertising. I That's assume right. it's kind of a reference to that. Yes. Um, explain it in the context of this question. Um, so you are essentially saying that we can't necessarily play or win the game of um, direct response. I don't know what the, yep. the digital equivalent of mm-hmm. DR advertising yeah. is called. I don't even know if there is an alternative. Um, but rather, you, because of the affinity developed with these brands, can can play the brand advertising game better than the triopoly. That's Is that right. a fair way to say? No question. And okay. that's how we and and we we uh, we coined the phrase high fidelity advertising as a as a counter to the word premium, which mm-hmm. um, we build ourselves and continue to build ourselves a premium media company. But everyone now says that, and yeah. so how do you differentiate from? Uh, whatever premium now means to right. anyone. And so we, we talk about high fidelity advertising as a place to reach people in in the right context and when they're in certain mindsets. The stat that like stuck stays stuck in my head is that on average we scroll through about 300 feet worth of 
social media feeds every day. Wow. Which is the height of the... Feet, you said, feet, like, if the, you actually added up yeah, all the interest which from is, your smartphone which or is, whatever. Exactly, yeah. which is the height okay. of the Statue of Liberty. Okay. So that's the wow. amount that's of feed we're, we're, we're scrolling through <laughs> every day. And so if you, and so the, that's, that's the, that's where all of this advertising right. is going. And so uh, if you think that you can make an impact when I'm scrolling through 300 feet worth of feeds every day where I'm bored and I'm just wasting time, then you just, you can't, you might be able to get me to click on buy something, but you can't actually make an impression. You can't right. have an impact on me. Right. Whereas if you're, if you reach me where we see, which is people are spending anywhere from five to 10 minutes at a time with right. us coming back multiple times a day across different mediums, whether it's open an email newsletter from us in the morning, uh, read one of our amazing websites in the middle of the day, or listen to a podcast on the way home, then we're reaching you in a mindset where you're ready for consumption. You're ready to be, uh, to, to engage with us in some way, shape or form. Right. And you're, that's what, that's the vehicle we offer brands to make that impression. Yeah. Audience. You're describing something that came up, I think at a podcast a couple months ago, and I'm, I'm drawing a blank on who it was, but it was the, um, another way of saying the need versus feed yep. approach. I'm sure you've mm -hmm. heard that phrase. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you're describing the need and Absolutely. kind of side of the ledger yeah. as opposed to the feed. Yeah. yeah, and I agree with you, by the way. I mean, yeah. I didn't realize I was spending uh, each day uh, climbing up the Statue of Liberty <laughs> in my feed, but it's a little disturbing <laughs> to think about that. But um, yeah, I, I see that as being uh, a key differentiator. Are brands and marketers buying that story? Yes, they are. Me? And we, yeah. we, our okay. business is, is growing and growing quickly, and we see the, we see the growth coming back. And even... Even the, the categories that have traditionally focused on just social advertising, the new direct-to-consumer category right. that built their businesses and raised a lot of money based on the fact that they can right. acquire customers exactly. on Facebook at a lower right. rate. They can bring an, uh, you know, a kind of an algorithm into their exactly. media buying and, and say, this investment from a VC will yield X. Exactly. I have, two at the, I have two conversations every week with those companies now where they know that they need to diversify both the source of where their, their customers come right. from and an ability to build a brand so that they can differentiate from everyone else trying to do the same thing, right. which is acquire customers cheaply. And so they're trying to differentiate with their differentiate their brand to their customers to build lifetime value and long-term right. prospects. And so that even a category that has traditionally only spent in this one channel is now recognizing the okay, need that's to, interesting to exist. In so talk spaces. about the different advertising types, formats, and units. Yeah. Because I think we're, we're all kind of now used to the reality of a lot of sites, I think, abusing the privilege, uh, not privilege, abusing the opportunity to, to deliver standard IAB banners because some sites just do it really badly. Yep. And we know click-through rates are probably at historic lows, yep. even though we thought they couldn't go any lower. <laughs> right. we're, we're now, I don't even know what the percentage yeah. is. Yeah. Uh, but, but we've also seen um, kind of a renaissance of, the, of of audio content in the form of podcasts. Yeah. We've seen really creative sponsor content, mm -hmm. which we used to call advertorials sure. back in the day yeah. when I was in the magazine business. Mm -hmm. um, so talk about that difference, because obviously there's just like volume driving through, I assume, with programmatic, yeah. but then you're doing a lot of special deals, and then you guys have some of the top podcasts right. in the business, yeah. um, which, from what I hear, command high CPMs, mm -hmm. Because when you have, uh, you know, Kara Swisher and Scott Galloway doing Pivot or something mm -hmm. like that mm -hmm. or whatever, you got some good ones. Yeah, yeah, I'm no sure. question. Between Casper Mattress and, <laughs> and uh, 
Uh, there's like there's like ten companies that seem to be on every yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, we, talk uh, about the different formats. Uh, so we 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 believe that a differentiator for us. Uh, I mentioned the or you mentioned the portfolio of brands that we have, uh, but along with that, the portfolio of ad solutions that we have. So we we have everything from the traditional display media, which is continues to move towards programmatic. We've got a, a growing branded content business. We've got a sponsorship business that is. Uh, attach a brand to IP that we have. Right. Two weeks ago, Eater launched a, a new travel section dedicated to giving you tips and tricks for when you're traveling to Barcelona or Paris or LA oh, or San Francisco yeah. with like, here, here are the best places to go, what sort of vibe are you looking for, and um, and sort of packaging that up for you and right. a brand can, can attach themselves to. We've got a, a, a newsletter, uh, email newsletter business, which is right. another sort of Coming, yeah, coming back to, to the forefront. So that's always been strong. Podcast and audio, yeah. like you mentioned, events. We have a growing uh, TV and IP business uh, where we're selling content to the distributors like uh, Netflix, where we have uh, Explained from Vox, which just got renewed for season right. two. We've got shows with PBS, CNN. Oh, that's right. Um, and, uh, and Facebook and uh, Verizon and, and companies like that. And so we do, there's not a marketer in the world that we don't have a solution for whether it's a brand that they need a category they're looking to reach an audience that they need to uh, communicate to or an ad portfolio that they can uh, a vehicle that they can convey their message through and so that puts that puts particularly me in a very enviable situation relative to my peers in the rest of the market um, because we can have we have a viable conversation to be had with every single CMO right I want to ask a quick inside baseball question about podcasting Mm -hmm. so there's been a lot of controversy around the metrics of podcasting and how it's an imperfect system. Yep. The phrase that often gets mentioned is downloads. Yes. Like Pivot has, you know, I'm making this up, 100,000 downloads mm-hmm. per week or something mm-hmm. like that. What, how, do you, how do you sell it from a metric standpoint? Yeah. What, what if I click on, uh, tap on uh, Pivot and I listen for 30 seconds? Yeah. But it's not a down. It's obviously not a download, right. unless I subscribe to the podcast. Yeah, where it's yeah. automatically done. But talk about that for a second. Yeah, so I know a lot of people are confused by it's this. It's the biggest uh, hurdle that exists for the podcast industry today is the lack of uh, agreed upon metrics. Right. And the but it's still so the industry still largely operates on this download metric. Which um, how do you define a download? Um, the it's if you subscribe uh, and download the episode, and then if you if you um, you can download individual episodes, and or so you can you stream? That, Does that would that then count? that counts? Yeah, okay. and that counts. And I so they're just using the word broadly defined. That's right. And there is there's a time um, uh, a certain amount of time that you have to reach that I'm not right. exactly sure what the exact yeah. number is to for it to count. Well, I always wonder about that with Spotify and Apple yeah. Music too. Like but there is they just recently down. reduced the uh, the sort of look back window to a 24. It's now a 24 hour window for us to know from whatever IP address that you are sort of downloading from. Interesting. If you download it in that, uh, before what it used to be is if you started a download here and then you would go home and finish the episode, it would double count it. And so now it's that 24 hour look back. So it's like an audio equivalent of like live plus three or something? Yeah, something like that. And so, um, but it is largely sold on downloads. We get the metrics afterwards around how many people uh, completed an episode, which that's the, the amazing thing about podcasts is that what we see, most of our podcasts are about an hour long, right. and it's about 75-80% completion. Yeah, which is an amazing, which is amazing just stat. Yeah. Amazing. And yeah. so... Um, what about incidents of people 
um, and I raise my hand guilty as charge, often fast forwarding through knowing that there's going to be an ad break yeah. with a 15 second advance button yeah uh, going through a couple of taps and you're back in yeah I mean I think that's the same as any other medium where uh, there was a like do you, you also probably get up to go to the bathroom when a commercial comes on yeah on or, television or go change or change the channel sure yeah exactly right. and so uh, their digital had sort of its viewability uh, right. measurement that we had to go through so I think I think that's the case with any medium where you have uh, some consumer behavior that yeah. is going to opt in or opt out. All right, one more quick uh, technical question, yeah. or more, not really technical, but more stylistic question. Um, pre-roll average, pre-roll videos, yeah. which are which seem to be ubiquitous, yeah. which not seem to be, they mm -hmm. are ubiquitous. Mm -hmm. um, pet peeve for a lot of digital consumers mm -hmm. is the uh, the dreaded thirty second spot <laughs> yeah. that should not be used in a digital setting, but right. is often used before, let's say, a 32-second video clip. Mm -hmm. Really bad idea, obviously, and it's yeah. proven to be, I think, disastrous. Mm -hmm. But they still are around. Yeah. What's the appropriate length of time, and does it correlate to the amount of content you're about to present? Yeah, no question. Is uh, and, and not only is it does it need to correlate to the uh, amount of content that it actually exists, it needs to correlate to what my expectation is that the content is I'm going right. to. If I... If I know that I'm going to watch a 30-minute episode on NBC's app, I'm okay with watching three 30-second spots yeah, before yeah, I start. Fair enough, yeah. But But even if you click through to a YouTube video that you're not sure is 30 minutes long and you get a 30-second spot, you're still going to be annoyed. So you have to meet sort of the expectation of, of a consumer before they even get there. Yeah. Now, I don't think we've solved the the what is the right length specifically on our phones. Um, and we're testing, um, we've done a bunch of testing around six second. Yeah, which is what Snapchat is using. That's right. Yeah. And sort of they, they, they came first. And we do see that resonates much right. better. I also think what YouTube did with the, with the TrueView skippable. Well, that, so I was going to ask another thing about that because it, it's interesting how they mm -hmm. kind of snuck in a second ad yeah. on a lot of pre-rolls. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, it, there's been publicity about mm -hmm. this, but... I've noticed they're they're pretty much everywhere now on YouTube. Mm -hmm. That wasn't the case a few yeah. months ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, so is that cool? Like you can just hey, why don't we throw in a second commercial? Well, I it feels like we're getting. Yeah. It's it's there's part of it that's more going to make wanting to wanting it to be more like TV, which mm -hmm. is not a good idea. Yeah. So I so I agree I agree with that. And even you can see the TV uh, networks where they're right. and they're, they're doing the opposite. They're being right. very public about yeah. they're reducing right. uh, the amount of, of time they're dedicating right. to commercials. And this is where this is the challenge with uh, uh, advertising generally speaking today. And and you asked me about it before, so I'm going to plug it now where I, I uh, just this morning published the piece oh, yes. uh, called uh, Attention is Abundant, but now you have to earn it. And the whole premise is about that over the last 30, 40, 50 years, the marketers and brands had an entitlement to our attention. You watched an hour of TV, there was 15 to 17 minutes worth of commercials, ads in every newspaper, uh, magazine, on the radio, and you consumers didn't have any other choice. You couldn't avoid it. Uh, and now you can pay 10 bucks for a month for Netflix and watch six hours of TV with no commercials. You can mm -hmm. pay 10 bucks a month for Spotify and right. listen to all the radio you want, no commercials. And so there is a, marketers no longer have an entitlement to our attention. Yes. Uh, and so, and so instead of, and, and how, so how do you earn the attention, which is what 
at Vox Media, we're focused on earning your attention. Our brands, our editorial brands do that every day. And what I and my team do every day is work to get marketers to earn that attention through our, our editorial uh, uh, connection with our right. audiences. And you do that by reaching people in the mindset in premium environments with engaging uh, creative uh, aspects of what, whether it's a display product, a podcast, or a mm-hmm. branded content story, and and focusing on loyalty and engagement as metrics as opposed to clicks and shares because clicks and shares are easy to game and easy to optimize for. Right. Right. And so that's the that's where 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 I believe that digital advertising and 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 now the future of advertising exists in in that spectrum as opposed to trying to get another impression in front of you just because I yeah. need to make an just extra dollar. It still seems to be rampant, though. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, there, there are times when you're on certain sites and you just wonder, like, what they're thinking. Yeah. Like, yeah. if they think it's a good strategy. Yeah, and that's, and that's just, the... They're, they're, they're really mistaken. Yeah, and that's why you yeah. see you see sort of a shift towards subscription. You see the trust yeah. in, in advertising continues to yeah. decline, and that's why what we're doing, we built Concert, which is our premium ad marketplace right. that takes premium inventory with us, NBC, Universal... Quartz, Rolling Stone, Pop Sugar, that we built a premium version of a network that is non-standard ad formats on only premium inventory that lets marketers reach these reach people at scale nice. in these in these distinct categories. All right, we need to wrap up in a few minutes, but I neglected to ask about SB Nation uh-huh. since we're the Columbia University Sports Podcast. Sure. We need to a quick a quick take on the state of um, SB Nation yeah. circa 2019 because yeah. it has a long history was a real pioneer in blog aggregation and user-generated content. So mm-hmm. just give us a quick a, a quick update on yeah, it. Yeah, SB Nation is flourishing now and is now becoming even more important, I think, to the world than it has ever been because of its focus on team communities. So we have SB Nation is made up of over 300 team communities that cover every um, professional, every major professional and college team. And so there is a different site for uh, Liberty Ballers is our uh, 76ers site. We've got Bleeding Green Nation is our Eagles site. And, and so it's all about building community and building fan communities and fan engagement and delivering that, uh, that true fan perspective to, um, to whatever team they're, mm-hmm. they're covering. And, and as more goes to sort of, uh, there's more legacy sports media companies that talk down to fans. What SB Nation is focused on is, is I want to watch the game with my with that community yeah. and I want to engage with them and so we do events we do uh, our websites we have over 50 team site podcasts now so that is where wow, we're focused on, on community yeah. and fan engagement nice that's good thank you for that all right two uh, wrap-up questions first how do you stay smart how do you keep up with that, all the developments in this business uh, so I use Twitter as my sort of primary news gathering source which I'm not sure if it's Good or bad on Sundays. I mean, for news uh, gathering, it's but, good. Uh, yeah, sure. uh, yeah, but I. Uh, but you got to get then, your three hundred feet in. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> and then uh, and then for for media in particular, uh, I'll plug a couple of our own podcasts. Of you mentioned Pivot with Kara Swisher and Scott Galloway, Very but also re- yeah, they, those two are incredible. Uh, Recode Decode yeah, with well. uh, Kara Swisher and then Recode Media with Peter mm-hmm. Kafka are right. all really amazing, and I do I do uh, listen to probably. Uh, more podcasts than I should, but that's also yeah. where I get more yeah. and more. Well, there's a lot to learn in podcasts. Yeah, no question. And, and, and really I, I like that it's a net new attention or I can use, I can listen to it while I'm doing yeah. something else. It's not like I have to stop. Or you can listen to it one and a half X or two X. I'm, I'm a one and a half X Okay. Guy. I, I have a friend who's a two X and that blows my mind. Because yeah. <laughs> when I listen, I really want to, I mean, I usually, when I listen to quote like nonfiction ones, yeah. like business uh-huh. ones, uh-huh. I really want to kind of 
process it. Yeah. And I've tried two X and I was like, well, my brain's not fast enough. I've, but, I've found that I've started talking faster after listening for enough time. <laughs> really? and a half X. Yeah. So I I'm mean, there are a lot of conversations we like to be able to like, you'd like to turn the person <laughs> right. on to two X. Right? That's right. That's right. That's right. All right. And secondly, um, can you offer some career advice, especially for the young people listening? Yeah. So you might be able to guess cons- uh, after hearing my sort of, uh, my story, but I believe that putting yourself in a situation where you can try a higher volume of things and and a faster paced environment where you can, you can sort of find out what you're good at and, and be offered an opportunity to um, take and own projects uh, is an important piece of just one learning about yourself and what you're good at, but also finding uh, places to contribute. I remember I'll tell one very quick story when, uh, when I first started is um, uh, my Kyle Ragsdale, uh, he, he doesn't even know this story. He asked uh, a bunch of us, like, if anyone knew what, and it was some acronym that was like a business process flow mapping tool. Like, does anyone know what this is? And I was like, yeah, I do. And he was like, cool, come up to my office and I've got a project for you. I had no idea what it was. And so before <laughs> before I go up there, I Google what it is. And I was like, okay, I can sort of, I don't know, I, I basically have Fake it now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and she was like, here's the project. So then I go do the project and you just like, you just pick up on things. And if you're sort of ready to, to commit yourself and work hard, you'll just get more opportunities. You'll find out. You'll, you'll, yeah. you'll hit on something that you're good at. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's a good way of saying it. Uh, that's a good story uh, and a reminder to everybody to always raise their hand when they're asked. Exactly. exactly. Um, well, it was good. So we've been talking with Ryan Pauley, who's the Chief Revenue Officer of Vox Media. Um, thank you for the insights. It's a it's a topic near and dear to my heart, having spent my formative years in ad sales. Mm-hmm. Uh, I find this topic interesting. Seeing the evolution of the business has been uh, an amazing thing to behold. Uh, but thank you for all the um, it's great stories to be here. And thank you. Um, thank you, Royce. Not a good um, one. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate it. So thanks, everybody, for listening. And we'll be back next week with a new episode of The Cusp Show. Take care. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.